Come let us adore. That's what we want to do today is come let us adore Him and lift Him up today. I hope you're glad to be here in God's house today and for the Spirit of God to speak in a personal way to you. That's my heart's desire, that He would speak personally to you. And that's what I prayed for this week. And so I want you to take your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We're not going to continue our series in Mark today. I'm going to do a couple Christmas messages as we head into the Christmas season here. And so today I've entitled the message, Keep the Peace. Keep the Peace. And so I'm going to focus not on a specific passage. I'm going to try to run through several. So I won't do a scripture reading this morning. But I want you to start in Luke, uh, probably Luke 1 or 2, probably Luke 1 is where I'm going to start. And then I'm going to move through several of these passages of Scripture today. You know, one of the things about this season, the seasons we are in, where happiness is advertised to us. You know, the, the romantic fireplace is lit. The chestnuts are roasting. And jasper is nipping and you've got this couple sitting there at the fireplace and they're celebrating the season with some caviar and chablis and that's how it's advertised to you and you got your car in the shop and you're holding a 10 year old pillow that's what you're spending your Christmas doing and so it's, it's quite a bit different than what is advertised to you than what is reality. And sometimes we wonder, did everybody get something that I didn't get? And uh, there's a false premise behind that for peace. And yet it is advertised to us in so many different ways. Sometimes it, it is hard to have peace like it is advertised. That's for sure. Uh, this season can be difficult. You got family coming over. Some of you got family coming over, and some of you got the other family coming over, and that uh, can have some issues in and of itself. And you kind of got to get your mind ready for that, right? Because there's always that one cousin that's just going to say something that's going to get on your nerves, and you got to get ready for that. And oh, the green beans aren't right. The green beans weren't cooked right, and you're going to have complaints and. And it can affect you, and it can affect you at this time of season. And I just want to just kind of warn you here, uh, I don't care what happens to you this season, all right? Whatever happens to you this season, I wrote this in my notes. Isn't that a lot of power you give to someone to let them steal your peace? Isn't that a lot of power you give someone to let them steal your peace? A commercial comes across the screen, your peace is gone. They stole your peace. An Instagram message comes to you and it kind of steals your peace. Somebody says something to you hurtful and it kind of steals your peace. Somebody doesn't like you and it just kind of steals your peace. And the truth of the matter is, one holiday, one moment, and they can steal your peace. Just like that. Just like that. You can't afford to let someone set you off right now. That's what I want to say to you. Don't let someone set you off this Christmas season. You can't afford to be merciless to people. You can't afford to be full of gossip. Don't do that this season. Don't do that. You, you cannot fill your head with trash and then pray for treasure. What are you going to fill your head with? I want to just talk to you about resting this Christmas, resting and having that peace in your heart. 
no matter what you face, no matter what you're up against this Christmas season. And so I have recently been studying the book of Revelation. I'm going to be doing another message on the Revelation this Wednesday night, and uh, it's around the, the, the numbers in the Bible and understanding symbolism of numbers. And I've given a lot of study to this, and uh, if you want to come, we'd love to have you come out for that. But really what uh, it, it, it attuned my heart to at this Christmas season was how many of these numbers are used in the book of Matthew and the book of Luke. And so I was surprised at that. Like, for example, I've studied these books many times, and I've never noticed before that there are seven prophecies in Matthew about Jesus Christ being born. There are seven prophecies in Luke around the birth of Jesus. Now, that's not an accident. That just kind of jumped out at me as I was reading. I said, I wonder if those, there's, a, there's a, a reason to all of that. And of course there is, because the number seven is the number for perfection or completion. And so what it's saying is, is this, this child being born is the confirmation that he is the perfect one. He's the perfect one come into the world. And I never picked up on that in Matthew or Luke before, but... Uh, these prophecies are very important. Uh, prophecy simply means God's speaking. God is speaking. And he wants to speak to you. And I believe that with all my heart here today. I'm just the mouthpiece. But he wants to speak to you in prophecy. Okay? Speaking in prophecy is to speak to the future. So let's speak to the future of your life right now. And let's ask the Spirit of God to speak now, out of the six prophecies he spoke, through or two, three were to men, Zechariah, Simeon, and Joseph. And not accidentally, the other three were to women, which would be unheard of to take their testimonies in that day and age and to actually hold those as authoritative, but God did. Mary, Anna, and Elizabeth. So you got six prophecies representing the, man, the number for man, and then you got the seventh prophecy from the angel to the lowliest of society, the shepherds. Seven prophecies given, and I don't think that's an accident. So I wanted to talk about that today. Seven key prophecies around the birth of Christ to rest your heart. Seven key prophecies around the birth of Christ to rest your heart. I want you to walk out of here today with a restful heart. That's my goal, all right? Here we go. I'm going to go through them rather quickly to cover this many. I don't usually cover seven in a message. I'll do my best. Number one, a prophecy of salvation. A prophecy of salvation. This is in Luke 1 where the prophecy is given by Zacharias. And in this prophecy specifically, I'm going to jump through a lot of verses here so I don't have to read all these verses. Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist. And uh, his wife, Elizabeth, is barren. And so he's praying for her that she could have a child. And the Bible says that she was barren, and Zechariah is praying. And then the Bible says, The angel appeared unto Zechariah and says to him, Your prayer has been heard. Your wife shall conceive and give birth. Now Zechariah answered the angel very, very wisely, and I want to teach you how to answer very, very wisely too. He says in verse 18 to her, let me read that verse in Luke 1, Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this? For I am old, an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. That's very, very wise. He didn't call his wife old. All right? 
He said he was old, but she's advanced in years. There's some wisdom right there. I just want to lock that in if you don't get nothing out of this message today. You can remember that when you go home, okay? But, but he's very wise. My wife's advanced in years, all right? And immediately, the minute he did that, the angel struck him mute. He couldn't talk. He couldn't talk. Why? He didn't believe the word of the angel. He knew the entire Old Testament. He knew what happened to Abraham. He knew what happened to Isaac. He knew all kinds of women couldn't conceive in the Old Testament, but were able to conceive because of the power of God. But yet, he didn't believe when the angel said, your wife shall conceive. Mary was asked the same question, and she had a similar answer to what Zacharias had, and she said, how can this be seeing I know not a man. But the angel did not strike her mute. Why did he strike her mute? Because she believed. See, the angel knew their hearts and knew that in the heart of Zechariah was unbelief, in the heart of Mary was belief. And that was the difference because, I just want you to get this, okay? He knows your heart too. He knows your heart. And so... Zechariah is mute until little John is born. And finally, when John comes along, and they say, what are you going to name it? He's trying to, he can't say it, but so he takes a tablet, he writes out, John, and then immediately his tongue is loosed, and he can speak, and he said, his name will be called John. Not Zechariah Jr.? No, John. God has been gracious to us. That's what John means in Hebrew. God has been gracious to us. And so, then he breaks out into this prophecy in Luke chapter 1, and he begins to speak about what is going to happen. And I just want you to see this. I'm not going to read all of this, but look in Luke 1, and specifically verse 67. The father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he visited and accomplished redemption for his people, and raised up a horn of salvation. There's the key word. There's always one word that dominates a prophecy. That's one thing to learn about prophecies. In this particular prophecy, it's the word salvation. He's raised up a horn of salvation through Jesus. Okay, verse 71. Salvation from our enemies, quote from the Old Testament, from the hands of all those who hate us. Verse 77. To give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. So that's the emphasis of this text here, is this word salvation. So let me just start out saying this. Don't forget, Christmas represents salvation. I know you're going to do a lot of things this Christmas, and a lot of things are going to take up your time, but don't forget that. That the core of it is that God sent His Son to save us from our sin. That's the main message. You don't want to lose that. You don't want to lose that. That's very important, okay? Jesus is the Greek word. We get the English word Jesus, but the Greek word is Jesus. That's the Greek word for Jesus. It's a derivative of the Hebrew word Yeshua, which is the word Joshua. There are two Joshuas in the Old Testament. There's Joshua the high priest that came out of exile. His name was Hosea. He was called Hosea. And then there is Joshua who was called Hosea. Now the word Hosea means salvation salvation but what moses did is moses saw god's hand was on joshua that he was going to follow him up as, up as the 
the leader to lead people after Moses died. And so anytime that happens in the Old Testament, or new sometimes, when there's a mission given to someone, God changes their name. In this case, in Numbers chapter 13, verse 16, Moses saw that God was putting his hand on Joshua, so he changed his name from Hosea to Joshua. Hosea to Joshua. It doesn't happen until Numbers chapter 13. You might not have known that. And so he changes his name from Hosea, which means salvation. Then he takes the word Jehovah. He squishes it together into one word, Yehovah, and Shua or Hosea, and he makes the word Joshua in English. Yeshua in Hebrew. Joshua. That's what he called it. So that means not salvation. That means God saves. God saves. And so that's literally the word Joshua, God saves. So the Greek word Jesus actually means, I am God, your salvation. That's what it actually means. I am God, your salvation. That's why the Pharisees always got ticked off on him when he would say stuff like that. He'd say, I am the door. That doesn't mean much to you. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I'm the bread. Every time he would say stuff like that, it would tick those Pharisees off because what he was really saying was, I am God the door. I am God the truth. I am God the way. I am God the life. That's what he was really saying when he said that. This is what Jesus is. He is our salvation. He is our salvation. Don't ever forget that. Of all the things you do at this Christmas time, keep that in mind. Jesus is God our salvation salvation which literally then if you really understand where i'm going to go with this that's everything that's everything for you when i look back over my life and i see the goodness of god i realize that from the time i lived in a trailer with my wife with our we, we always go back we'll, we'll go back in our history and always say remember the trailer yeah, we remember the trailer. It was an awful experience living in a trailer park in a trailer that was run down. But the goodness of God was over us. We always say, boy, I'm glad we don't live in a trailer no more. We still say that today. My wife said something the other day. She said to me, she said, uh, she said if you weren't saved, I don't know if I'd have married you. I'm not sure what that means. Like, could you explain that a little more? Like, what... A, Deep down, she's right. Salvation has changed everything for me in my marriage. Because if he didn't save me, my wife has seen parts of me that she didn't know were true about me. But the work of salvation has started to work on those things in my life and has changed me. It's changed me like it's changed you. So that's why my wife, several years into the marriage, even sent me that song for my birthday. When we went on our birthday, she said, I want you to hear this song. And she, one of my favorite songs is, I Choose You Again. She said, of all the boys in the world, I'd choose you again. And I always, I always kind of like that when I think about that. She sent me that song and said, that's how I feel about our marriage. I'd choose you again. She said, I'd change a lot of things, but one thing I would never change is I'd choose you again. Boy, that, I'll never forget that. That just means so much to me in my heart that she'd choose me again. She said, with you saved, 
I'd even live in a trailer with you. She'd live in a trailer again if I was saved with her. If I was saved, she'd say, I'd live in a trailer again with you. Because salvation has changed everything for us. Now, some of my ladies saying, oh, that's nice. Some of you guys are saying, okay, what's your point? All right, what's your point? All right, okay, that is the point. Salvation has changed everything in my life and has changed everything in yours. If it hasn't changed you, then it hasn't changed anything. Okay? All right, that's number one. Let's go on. Number two, the prophecy of favor. The prophecy of favor. This is given in this particular case in Luke chapter 1, back in verse 26. The Bible said the angel Gabriel came to the city of Nazareth, to the virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of Mary, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now notice what the angel says to her. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. I love that word. This is the prophecy of favor. The prophecy of favor. And I want you to capture this, this word. The favored one. Actually, in the Greek, it's the word charis. You know any girl's name charis? My granddaughter, one of my youngest granddaughters, is named charis. It's a beautiful name. And I love the name charis now. Because i got a granddaughter named charis. I asked them to name her Roberta, but they didn't go for it. Okay. I don't hold no grudges, though. I'm, I'm very good about that. The Greek word charis actually means grace. That's the translation of the word. 130 times in the Bible it's translated grace, but six times it's translated favor. Six times it's translated favor. Noah found grace. He found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God was speaking this at a time when His Son was born. He spoke salvation, but he spoke grace. He spoke favor. What does that mean? Just put that real simple. I want to stay real simple with this message, okay? That means that God has some of his people that are his favorites. God has favorites. One on whom favor is Mary. You say, well, am I one of God's favorites? Well, let me ask you. Have you been saved by grace? If you've been saved by favor, then you're one of his favorites. That's all it takes. It's just to be saved by grace. Okay? And you become one of his favorites. Someone asked me one time, what's your favorite food? I said, boy, that's a tough one. They said, well, do you like Italian? Oh, I love Italian. Italian's my favorite. They said, what do you like Mexican? I love Mexican too. That's one of my favorites. Hey, do you love, do you love Japanese? Oh. I love Japanese. That's one of my favorites. The guy said, I know what your problem is. You have more than one favorites. And that's true. We have, we have a lot of favorites. We don't just have one favorite. We have lots of favorites that we have. It's the same way with my kids. My daughter is my favorite. Because my daughter is my only girl. Firstborn, only girl, and I protected her and watched over her more than the other three boys put together. Because she's my favorite. She's my firstborn. Now my son, he's my firstborn son. Now, now he's my favorite too. Because he's my firstborn son and he's going to carry on my name. And he's going to have all those little deckers running around. I tell him, keep adding to the tribe, man. Keep them coming. All right? He's my firstborn, so he's my favorite. Now my other son... 
He preaches like I preach. I've heard all my sons preach, but this boy, he preaches most like me. Now, because he preaches most like me, he's my favorite. He's my favorite boy. My last son, he, he has developed in ways that I never imagined what he would do with his life. It's unbelievable when I think about all the things he did. I never imagined one of them happening in his life. And you know, because of that, I look at him and I say, he's my favorite. He's my favorite. So I got four favorites. I got four favorites. Now let me go to my grandkids. Now that's getting bigger there. You got nine of them, you know. I remember when I first had, I, when Isaac was first born and I, I put his face into my cover page on my phone, okay? And so there he was. Every time he turned it on, there was Isaac. People would ask me about it. I loved it. I loved seeing Isaac. Well, then Noah was born. And Noah said, Papa, why am I not on here? Oh, my goodness, I didn't realize it. So I realized in the, you know, where you, you organize all those front pages, the cover pages, I, 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 I put in Isaac. And then I had Noah. Now I had Isaac Noah. So if Noah was coming up to get my phone, I'd quickly flip it over to him. So when he pushed it on, there he was. Oh, I'm his favorite. Yes, you're my favorite, Noah. I did it with, I have nine grandkids on my phone, and I have to flip it to find the right one, whoever's grabbing my phone. If Hattie comes up, I'm like, look, you're my favorite. That, that's, that's, we all have favorites. I have favorites. God has favorites. And what I'm trying to say to you today, God has more than one favorite. And if you know him and you've been saved by Karis, then you're one of his favorites. You're one of his favorites. Don't forget that. You are one of his favorites. All right, that's number two. Number three, the prophecy of being blessed. The prophecy of being blessed. This is one where Mary came to Elizabeth and she prophesied in verse 39. It says that as immediately she came into the door, I'll jump down to verse 42. She cried out with, this is Elizabeth, crying out with a loud voice filled with the Holy Spirit. She cried out and said, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. That's so, such beautiful. That's beautiful. I don't, I don't have time to develop all that except to say that uh, Elizabeth speaks by the Holy Spirit and says, You are blessed, Mary. Then he says, your womb's blessed, Mary. Then he says, you're the mother of my Lord and you're blessed. And not only that, Mary, but you believe God and you're blessed because you believe God. Just, just beautiful. Now, the word blessed in the Greek there is the word makairos. Makairos, okay? And this is an interesting word. It just means to be happy. Just happy, that's it. Don't, 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 don't overcomplicate this word, okay? But the truth of the matter is, and I just want to say to you in a real simple way, Jesus came to make you happy. That's one of the reasons he came. He came to bless you. He wanted to make you happy. That's what he means. Sometimes we spiritualize the word, but it, it just means to be happy. It's not the word for joy. Okay, joy is an internal thing. Makairos is not an, it's an external thing. It's built on our circumstances. So what it means is he's going to give you external seasons in your life where you're going to be happy and you're going to know the happiness of the Lord. He's going to put those into your life. That's a beautiful thing. The external season of happiness where you say, thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for letting that happen in my life. It's the happiness of the Lord. It's the happiness of the Lord. I believe one of the lies of Satan today is that if you give your life to Jesus, you'll never, you'll never be happy again. 
That's what some people believe. They'll say, I've never said it to me. Not too long ago, someone said, well, I just want to have fun. I just want to have fun. Let me tell you something. I've been on the other side of fun. Okay? I've been on the other side. Let me tell you something. It's not just fun. A lot of other stuff goes with it, too. It stinks on the other side of fun. But to have happiness in the Lord, there's not a happiness of the Lord from anything that doesn't last. In other words, the happiness, the happiness of the Lord only comes from the Lord. Makairos only comes from the Lord. I, some people have told me this, well, I just want to have fun, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to live my life to have fun, and then when my life is over and I'm getting to the end of it, then I'm going to give my life to the Lord. Okay, maybe you'll be able to do that, okay? Maybe you'll be able to do that. But I, but I will tell you this. You may have fun, but I promise you, you won't be happy. You say, I'm going to wait till the end, give my life to the Lord. I can promise you won't be happy, though. Because true happiness comes from Jesus. You can go out here and have all kinds of fun, but if the happiness didn't come from Jesus, it's not only not going to last, but it's not going to make you full of happiness. That, that's so simple, but I, I don't want you to miss that because there's nothing greater than a clear conscience. It's a sweet thing. It's a sweet thing. Clear conscience is a sweet thing. Family's a sweet thing. Work, living your life, loving your family, loving your kids, loving your grandkids. But only God can give you that kind of happiness, that kind of makairos, that kind of blessed when, when you want to live that way. Okay, That's the word blessed. That's the word happy. Jesus wants to make you happy. Let's go on. Number four. Number four. The prophecy of guidance. I love this one. Let me just, to save time, let me just summarize it. The prophecy of guidance. Joseph needed guidance. Guidance was different all the way up to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Before the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, they had all the signs and wonders and miracles. Hebrews 2.4 says that. Hebrews 2.4 says that God used to speak through signs, wonders, and miracles. Okay? But now in these last days, we're in the last days, he's spoken through his son, Jesus Christ, and his son has spoken through his word. Okay? That's how he speaks to us today. We don't, we don't look for signs like Joseph did, but it's a good example to us because it, it, it kind of has an application for us. It's a little different, but I'll explain that in just a minute. But when Joseph was struggling with uh, Mary... Uh, he thought on these things. It's a beautiful thing to do. He tried to figure it out. This doesn't make sense. It looks like she's gone to bed with somebody else, and I'm going to have to put her away privately. I don't want to disgrace the girl. I don't want to hurt the girl unnecessarily, so I'll do everything under undercover. I'll just go get the bill of divorcement. We'll get divorced quietly, and we'll go on with our lives. That's what he was doing as he was thinking on these things. And then through a dream, uh, the angel came to him and said, Hey, don't fear to take Mary to yourself. Uh, what is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Take her to yourself. And then Joseph gets up from the dream and says, Oh my goodness, it is true. Uh, it, 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 she's really been birthed through the Holy Spirit. And so he takes, him, takes her to himself. And he does that. He got that through a dream. Okay? Then he has another dream. And this time it's that the Herod's after him with the baby. And so 
the, 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 the Lord, the angel comes and says, take, take the boy and get down to Egypt because out of Egypt I will call my son. Just like I called Israel out of Egypt, I will call my son out of Egypt. And so he, takes, he wakes up from the dream, he takes him down to Egypt. Then he has another dream, and on the third dream, he says, okay, come up out of Egypt, return to Jerusalem. So he comes up out of Egypt to return. While he's getting close to Judea, he has another dream, and the angel speaks to him and says, don't let the baby be raised in Judea. Take him up into the Nazarene country, because my boy will be called a Nazarene. My Savior will be called a Nazarene. And the kings that are after Herod still seek him, and so take him up there. And so four, four different instances of this angel in a dream leads them. What's the point? Okay, here's the point. Here's the application for your life. And don't miss this, okay? God's going to guide you. God's going to guide you. He's not going to guide you by dreams. Don't you dare try to live your life by your dreams. It's a huge mistake because he said in Hebrews 2.4, he doesn't speak in the same way now that he did back then. Then he used the dreams. So be very careful of this. In the New Testament, he says he speaks through his son, through his word. But he'll do the same thing. He will guide you through his word. You don't, you don't have to be worried. Some of you are getting so anxious over something right now. You don't have to be. He will guide you. Because Jesus has come. That's the whole point of Christmas. God's going to give guidance. He'll tell you what to do. He'll tell you where to go. He'll tell you when to go. Seek him for that. Seek his son through the word of God. And he'll, he'll show you. He'll, take you. he'll tell you when to take another job. He'll tell you what school to put your kids in. He'll tell you the city to move to. He will guide you in all that. I believe that with all my heart. That's what I think, and this is the point. This is what Christmas is about. Christmas is telling you that you can be guided. You can be guided in your life, personally, for you. It's a beautiful thing. He's, he's got salvation. He's got grace, favor on you. He's got blessing. He wants you to be happy, but, but he'll guide you. He'll guide you. He won't do it through the dreams like he did in the Old Testament. He did it for those in the early days of, of Christ's life, but he will guide you through his word. It's, it's just like that GPS. You set it in your phone, and, and it'll tell you exactly that. You've got, you got 200 miles to go. It's beautiful, isn't it? That's kind of like God. He just gives you that general direction. Start heading in that direction. This is the direction I want you to go in. And then you get a little closer. In 21 miles, turn left. In 10 miles, in two miles, turn left. And then you get closer to the decision-making, turn left, turn left. That's how he guides you. It's kind of like a GPS, a, a spiritual GPS for your life. It's, it's a beautiful thing. I think that's what the Word does to guide you. And I, I love it. I don't know how to put that. Sometimes I don't pay attention to the GPS, though. Sometimes my mind wanders, and I, I just I kind of get myself off track sometimes, and all of a sudden I'll hear the GPS say, pull over and let me drive, you know? Actually, it's not the GPS, it's my wife. My wife will do that. Sometimes I'll get lost. Okay, that happens, but he will guide you. He will guide you, and it's a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing. God speaks to us through his word to guide us, to guide us. All right, let's go on. Number five, the prophecy of joy. The prophecy of joy. This is in Luke 2. The Bible says the angel came to Mary, or, or this one's to come to the shepherds, I'm sorry, he came to the shepherds, and the angel said to him, verse 10, do not be afraid, behold, I bring you good tidings, good news of great joy, great joy, which shall be for all people, and there's other verses on great joy, but I'm not going to have the time to do that, but here's the difference, 
Happiness is external to your circumstances. Makairos, all right? God gives you seasons of joy in the, or happiness in the Lord. Joy is internal. It's not dependent on your circumstances, all right? That's the difference. Here's a good definition. A supernatural delight in God and His purposes. A supernatural delight in God and His purposes. Now, the truth is, as I was thinking about this, one of the times that Satan attacks the most is Christmas. It's Christmas. I really believe that. It's supposed to be the most joyous time of the year, but many have tremendous sadness right now, right in this room. They have tremendous sadness. And there are good reasons for the sadness. It's not like they're making this up. It's, it's not like they're imagining separation. A family member is not going to be here this year. Right? Uh, a loss of someone. Something's going on with your health right now. Some of you, it's finances. And here's what I thought when I was thinking about this joy, this kind of this internal joy that's in supernatural delight in God and His purposes. Okay? I don't know whether you realize this or not. Christians are the only people in the world we are the only people in the world that can legitimately grieve and rejoice at the same time. That's, that's a gift. That's a gift. That you could simultaneously grieve and rejoice at the same time. Because when we lose someone, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to grieve. It's very painful. But the Bible says we don't grieve as those without hope. There's the joy concept underneath the word hope. That, that you can still have a hope in the middle of your weeping, in the middle of your grief. But you do grieve. You do grieve. But even in your grief, you can have joy. You can have joy. Even at Christmas time. I was thinking back a few years ago. I'm, I'm just going to keep this short for you, but um, I had a lot of expenses one time at Christmas time. The washer went out, the car was in the shop, I had a couple other things going on, and I was in the dumps, man, thinking I don't even have money to get my kids stuff for Christmas, and that was bumming me out, and so it was getting to me that year, and uh, so I was having my quiet time, and I was just talking to the Lord, reading the scriptures, praying, and I was, and to be honest with you, I was just kind of going through the motions. Now, I'm going to just kind of put this in language that might would speak to you. It didn't happen exactly like I'm saying it to you, but I want you to get it. And the Lord said to me, why don't you just go ahead and say it? Say what, Lord? You know. Say it. Okay, I'll say it, God. I'm mad at you. What are you mad for? I got all this stuff going on at Christmas... And I don't got any money for Christmas. Well, what do you need money at Christmas for? What do you mean, what do I need money at Christmas for? I need money for the kids to get them Christmas gifts. You ever say something and you regret the minute you say it? That's kind of how I felt at that moment in time. Just a pure sense of regret. And God said to me, like, this, like I said, I'm just trying to put it in words for you. Oh, Really? you mean you're not going to be able to have Christmas because you don't have money? 
So, so you can't celebrate my son's birth because you don't have any money. Is that right? Is that what you're saying to me? Is, is, is that, are, are you telling me your money is what you base your joy on? Well, not now. Not now I don't. You know, I don't, I don't anymore now that you say it that way. And the, and the Lord just kind of had to give me perspective. I lost perspective. I'll just tell you the end of the story. It worked out where we got money, got some gifts given to me, that we were able to get some gifts for our kids for Christmas. I mean, we're going to make sure we got some gifts for our Christmas. Every, every parent does. But let me tell you what happened to me in the, between the time the money came to get the gifts and the time that I was in the dumps. I was reading Romans 12, and the Lord said to me in Romans 12, He said, what if you gave your kid another kind of gift? So what kind is that? Romans 12 lists a whole bunch. What about, why don't you give him a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift. Come on, Lord. A spiritual gift? Yeah, yeah. Why don't you give him something that will go beyond December and January and February? Why don't you give him something eternal? So I was reading the spiritual gifts in Romans 12. My kids were all young. And that night, it really was like an eye-opener for me because I didn't have the money. So I went to all of my kids who were asleep at that time. And they were all in bed. And I laid my hands on them. And I prayed over them. I prayed over Zach. I said, Zach, I said, God, would you... Would you give the gift of leadership? To my boy. I did it over Nick. I did it over Austin. Would you give the gift of leadership to them? I prayed over my daughter. Would you give her the gift of faith? The gift of serving. Would you give my boys the gift of giving? Would you give my children these gifts? And I prayed over every one of them that night. And I'm telling you, of all the years I've celebrated Christmas and given physical gifts, these turned out to be the greatest gifts I've ever given any of my children. These are the gifts prophecy of joy in the middle of no money all right let's go on number six let me get this going here i got to finish it up the gift of redemption the prophecy of redemption okay i'm not even going to read it for the time that i got anna is in the temple she's 84 years old she has married when she was 14 she stayed with her husband seven years he died when she was 21 and she lived the next 63 years as a widow She's waiting, the Bible says in Luke 2, verse 38, she's waiting to, for the redemption of Israel. And that's the word here, the prophecy of redemption. 84 years old, and she's been waiting. 63 years old as a widow. Who wants to live their life that way? And that's how she lived her life. Now, what's the point? You are never too old to be used of God. You are never too old. 
If you're willing, He'll use you. God chose Anna give this prophecy of redemption. And at that exact time, uh, Joseph and Mary came in with the baby to dedicate the baby, and she was going to offer a gift of redemption. This word redeeming is a beautiful word. It means to buy back. You deem, when you deem something, you deem the value of it. It's talking about money. You deem the value of it. But when you redeem it, you buy it back. You buy it back. And that's the word there that she's using. Okay, so what God is saying is, I came to buy you back. When, when, when Adam sinned in the garden, he gave up the realm of authority over to Satan. And when Satan had the authority over him, Jesus Christ had to be sent by the Father to redeem back Adam. He had to be bought back, but he couldn't buy it with money, even though the word is a money word. He had to buy it back with blood. The blood of the innocent one for the blood of the guilty. So he bought back Adam out of sin in terms of sending his son to die on the cross. Now, a more beautiful picture, even that kind of helps you a little better, is Hosea. When God told Hosea, go buy a wife for yourself. It's an interesting way to put it. Go buy your wife for yourself, but she's a prostitute. I want you to marry a prostitute. Her name's Gomer. So Hosea obeys the word of the Lord, and he goes and he marries a prostitute. They have three children. He, she doesn't like her life anymore, so she goes back to prostitution. That's a grounds for divorce right there. That's grounds for divorce. Now God says in chapter 3 to Hosea, go buy her again. Go back and redeem her. Give her a second chance. Even though she left you and cheated on you, I want you to do it again. And the reason I want you to do it is because that's what Israel, my people, are doing to me. They're chasing their lovers and they're chasing other gods and they're chasing other nations instead of me. And they've broken my heart. But Hosea, I want you to redeem them because one day I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to buy them back. Now God said in chapter 1 to Hosea, he said, take a wife, Gomer. In chapter 3, he said, go love a wife. That's huge. Go lay down your life for her, Hosea. Give her a second chance. Bring her back and let her be your wife. I don't know any man in his right mind that would want to do that. But God said, I'm showing you a picture of what I'm doing with you. Now, what does this say to me? What should this say to you, okay? All right. This is what it says to me. Even when I leave, even when I make mistakes, even when I go back into sin that I may have come out of or blow it, He's there to redeem me again. He's there to buy me back. And he'll do it for you. Because that's what it means. That's what it means. It's beautiful. And then the last one. Let me go to that. I'm going to close it. The prophecy of peace. 
This is where Simeon comes in and he says, let your servant now depart in peace. This word's all over the early stories of Jesus Christ's birth. But he says, let your servant depart in peace. He said, I've seen the salvation. You let me live to 112 until I could see your Messiah born. And then he looks and he says to Mary and Joseph in the temple there, he says to them, but let me tell you something about this peace. He said, it's going to be the stumbling block of some and it's going to be the dividing of hearts of others. In other words, there's going to be some people that hear the message of Christ and they are just going to reject it. They're going to trip over it. They're going to stumble over it. They're not going to get it. He said, but others, those who get it will be pierced into their soul through their heart. They'll be convicted of their sin and they'll say, I need a Savior. That'll be the work of this Savior. One people will reject. Others will be convicted of their sin and say, I need a Savior. And then he looks into Mary's eyes and he says to Mary, but you, Mary, you're going to be pierced deeper into your soul than anyone else. She didn't know what that meant at the time. She was soon to find out she'd lose her husband and then she'd be at the foot of the cross with her son watching him die. And it would pierce her soul. Now, Simply put, here's what this says at Christmas. Even though you will go through difficulty, and it may pierce your soul in this life, the Prince of Peace has come for you to give you peace in the turmoil. That's what he did for Mary, and that's what he'll do for you. Okay. That was fast on those last two, but let's pray. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. And I'm going to ask the praise team to come. And here's what I want to ask you to do, okay? I want you to take a moment right now. I want you to take a moment right now, and I want you to ask yourself, what has the Holy Spirit spoken to you in this message? Ask Him right now, Spirit of God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me in this message? And maybe as you listened here this morning, maybe one or two of these words have jumped out at you. Maybe one, maybe two, I don't know, but just one or two words. And you, you would say, this is what I needed this Christmas. This is what I need this Christmas. Is it salvation? Is that your need today? I need salvation. Is it favor? Is it blessing? Is it, is it the events of happiness you'd like to see come into your life? Is it guidance? Is it, guide, is it redemption? Do you need another chance? Is it joy? Is it peace? What is it? What do you need? Okay. What do you need from God? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to say something to you. Don't, don't ever come to church and need prayer and not get prayer. You come to church and you need prayer, it takes just a few minutes, okay? It just takes just a few minutes. And in a moment, I'm going to pray a short prayer and I'm going to ask you to come to the front. And what I've done today is I've put about eight people. I know that's probably not going to be enough, but I put about eight people and I'd like you to come to one of them and say one word that you needed from this message today. I needed redemption. I need another chance. 
I needed guidance. I needed salvation. I needed favor. I needed blessed. And whatever your word is, you just say it to him. You know why I put these eight people up here? These are eight people that have been praying during services when I'm preaching. And they do it on a rotation basis. And so the other week, they prayed over, well, I should say, for the last two, three months. Every time before I go into the pulpit, they pray over me. And I realized through that experience, it rejuvenated me. It empowered me. It changed me. As best I can, I'm going to try to do that today for you. So if you got one word of prophecy that was given today and you need it, I'm going to spread these folks out across the front. You just come to one. and You don't even tell me your story if you don't want. You just tell them the one word. I need guidance. I need peace. I need another chance. Whatever, whatever that word is. And I'm going to ask you to come forward. We're going to pray. We're going to stand. And when we stand, I want you to step out right then. And I want you to come up front. And I want you to tell someone, I need prayer for this one thing. Or two things. And we're going to pray. Praise team's going to sing while we pray. And we're going to go home. Okay? Let's stand to our feet. Head bowed, eyes closed. But if you're one of those people, I want you to step out right now. There's one thing you need today of the seven things. You come right now. Step out. Just touch someone. Come to one. Spread out now. Would you spread out more here a little closer to the front? And if you don't get someone, they're used up. There's only seven or eight of them. You just put your need right at this altar, right at the prayer bench. And then when they see they prayed with the other person, they come over, put their hand on you, they'll pray over you. But you got one word that you need today. You come. Holy Spirit, draw every person with any prayer room, prayer need, right now. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You come this morning if that's your need. Praise team, go ahead and sing for us.